Father, thank you again for tonight. Uh, we need your help now because without your Holy Spirit moving on us, these words will be words. Flat, dead, ineffective. But Father, you've promised that you will accomplish what you send your word out to do. And we pray that that would happen tonight, that there would be transformation, not just information, that there would be real heart change, there would be awakening tonight, there would be refreshment and uh, revitalizing tonight in the souls of women and men. And I pray that we would see ourselves in your great story. Please, move on us as we think about planning for the future, as we think about strategizing for the future, as we think about ourselves as it relates to the future. Would we be helped by your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in a, a series in the book of Proverbs, one of the best books in the Bible. Not that the other 65 are not awesome, but I love the book of Proverbs. And it has practical goodness for each and every person to take, receive, and by the power of God, live out. And the reason we've titled this series, Wisdom, the Gift of God, because God is the one who has to give the wisdom. We cannot just acquire it minus God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so the wisdom that we need is the wisdom that God must give. And we know that God has revealed his wisdom to us in a book called the Bible and fantastically in a book called Proverbs, we find God's wisdom. So we're going to talk tonight about planning, strategizing for your future. How many of you guys have a five-year plan? One, two, three-year plan? A plan? Okay, so, so there's some planning going on, okay. Uh, we should be people of wisdom, and people of wisdom make plans, we make plans. When I was a new Christian, I was so confused on this issue. And I think it had something to do with the book of James. So I, I was you know, reading the scriptures as a new Christian constantly, and without a lot of personal discipleship in my life, I came to my own conclusions about the Bible a lot. Okay? Thankfully, you all have a massive opportunity to ask questions, because look around, you have a lot of wisdom accumulated here. But for me, I, I didn't have that. So I read this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whew. Now James is New Testament wisdom. If any book in the New Testament was wisdom, it's the book of James. And James is here saying a lot, which we're not going to pull apart, but I just want to emphasize a few things. One is we, in God's perspective, are a mist or a vapor. When you get your coffee in the morning or your tea in the morning or your hot chocolate, you see the vapor, the mist come off the top of the cup and it vanishes. That's you, that's me. 
And only logically so, right? Because if God always was and always will be, what is your 70, 80, 90 years? A vapor, a mist. That's what you are. That's what I am. And that's okay. It's okay. James is here saying the attitude should not be, I am God, I control the future, I will plot my own course, and by my doing, I will make it happen. That's what James is warning against here. He's not warning against planning, but when I read this as a new Christian, I was like, oh, God forbid we make plans. Rather, we should take everything as it comes and then react accordingly. That was how I lived my life as a, as a new Christian. And guess what? It was chaotic. I was always responding to everything coming at me, and I, I had no plans. I would hear someone asking for money on the radio, and I'd be like, okay, even though I don't have it, God, you'll provide. This is, must, must be what you want. Reacting, reacting. It was foolish. No wisdom in my heart or soul. And I remember going to my pastor as a new Christian and saying, is it sinful to make plans for the future. And he kind of looked at me like, what? No, it's not sinful to make plans for the future. And I was like, oh, okay. And now I have a broader understanding of what the whole of the scriptures say. And this is wisdom, friends. Don't take one passage of scripture, isolate it out of context of its own book, but then out of the rest of the Bible. Don't do that. And James here is not saying don't plan What James is saying is something we will get to in a moment is you should consider that if the Lord wills, your plans will happen. And only if. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, but for you to think you can control your own reality minus God, minus his power, minus him as the first cause of your life, movement, and being, that's foolish. And James is trying to humble us here and say, listen, If God wills, verse 15, you'll live. Wow. In other words, if God wills, tomorrow you'll wake up. Now that's that's harsh unless that one who controls your waking up in the morning is also your father who loves you, who sent his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. If that is the one who controls your tomorrow and he decides you wake up tomorrow with him, it's all good, isn't it? So do you know this God who controls not only your life, but also your this or that? If he wills, you'll live or do this or that. If you know him well and you know him as a loving father, you don't have to be afraid of that. In fact, that causes peace and rest to come upon you. It's the opposite of what you might think. Now, what we need to think about is, I think, four things, and we're going to do this very quickly, okay? So we're going to have to move with massive speed here through a ton of Bible. Massive speed, a ton of Bible, it's being recorded, you're not going to be able to write fast enough, all right? I'm just warning you. So we're going to look at four different aspects of planning, strategizing, and wisdom for the future. Here they go. How God directs you or making plans by God's direction. Number two, God's directing you in your circumstances or planning according to circumstances. Number three, planning according to our desires and submitting your desires to God's desires. And four, God's ultimate plan. Let's do number one, how God directs you or makes, or or you're making plans by God's direction. 
Recently, we were praying at breakfast, which we pray before every meal. I highly recommend that. You know, give thanks, sanctified the food by prayer and thanksgiving. Everything is a good gift of God if by that means. Paul tells us or tells Timothy that. And my daughter, as she often does, started goofing off during the prayer. Like I hear, you know, the waffle being cut. I'm like, hey, constant correction. You know, parents, this is what parenting is. I remember Paul Tripp said, parents get upset when they actually have to parent. Right? And, and I hear that rebuke often in my head. I hear Paul in the back of my head being like, "Were well, you mad that you have to parent? You mad, dude? So I, I interrupt the prayer, and I'm like, Addie, Addie, listen, we're talking to God right now, and he really hears us, and we're really talking to him. And she looked at me, and she said, well, how come he doesn't talk back to us? And okay, let's do theology over breakfast. It's getting cold, but this is a good time. And what I said to her was, what do you think? How does God talk to us? And she said, well, he'll talk to us in heaven. I said, okay, that's right, but what about right now? What would your answer be? Okay, God has spoken to us. It's a thick book called the Bible, and it's his word to you, and anytime you want to hear his voice, you can go pick it up or click on uh, the app on your phone. Anytime you want, you can hear from God. His will has been clearly laid out to you, and he doesn't want you guessing or trying to figure out some secret plan he has for your life, and then he's going to be like, oh, you got it wrong, I'm sorry. Now your life's about to go terrible. If you just fasted and prayed for another 40 days and 40 nights, you could have got my will. That's not what God does. And so what I said to my daughter was, God speaks to us in his word, and that's where we find his guidance, his direction, his will. We hear him speak most clearly. And so tonight, the first thing we need to think about is, God directs our planning by his word, or our planning must be directed by God's word. Now, we have to take the counsel of God into our planning as the first counselor or advisor that we go to, okay? We feeling that? Jesus tells us in John 14, 16 to 17, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, this, he says to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That could be translated counselor. could also be translated advocate. For what? To be with you forever. So another helper, that means Jesus is another helper. The Father is a helper. This counselor, this advocate, will be with us forever. And 17 tells us, even the Spirit, see the capital S there? In your Bible, when you see the Spirit capitalized, you know it's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's speaking of the coming Pentecost where every believer, he's talking about the new covenant where every believer will have the Holy Spirit living inside them as their counselor, helper, advocate. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, therefore glorify God with your bodies. So we take the counselor, God himself, and what he has written as our first place of guidance. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, 
a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. And what does this mean? Guidance means this, verbal direction. Verbal direction. It means guiding. It means counsel. People, it means this. It's a group. It's a nation. It's an ethnicity, a family, a member of a school, church members, our church. Where there is no guidance, verbal direction, counsel, a church falls, a nation falls, a people falls. But in an abundance, abundance, that means plentiful, quantity, great amount, impressive number. In an abundance of counselors is what? Safety. You're safe with an abundance of counselors. Now, here's the beautiful thing. In this church, I know quite a few of you, and there is a growing amount of wise women and men here that we should be, listen, interacting with often. We should not be individualistic Christians out on our own, making our own decisions, trekking our own course, being our own small G God. We should rather be integrating the wise counsel of many men and women, especially those who you know well, the members of your local church. And for so many of us, this is so countercultural. We're like, no, 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 I shall not let other people into my life and my junk. And this wisdom from Proverbs here is saying, listen, if you want to be safe, you need to let in an abundance of counselors. Don't think you have it all figured out. Don't make plans on your own. Don't think you have all the wisdom it takes to make plans for your future. Okay? It's a help. And it's a rebuke. But it's also a, a gift. Man, please, seek out help, especially from the people in your church. Now, the word, the word people there, it does mean like a group. And there is a council that can lead a group, similar to our two affiliations. We're a part of the Gospel Coalition. And there's a council that leads the Gospel Coalition. We're a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And there is a board of wise uh, men, and then under them, associates and helpers that lead or move that group along. And it's not a one not a one. This is why the, the solo pastor is never helpful in a church. And friends, we want to see more of the brothers in this church become members, please. Your next step, you could become a deacon. And if God would so call you, if anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task, make your way into the pastoral leadership of this team. We want and need more of you brothers to step up and help us lead a people so that there might be safety, please. Now, Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It's saying the same thing here. Will you go with your own thoughts, ideas, and wisdom, or will you listen to the wisdom book of the Bible and say, no, I will gather many and much advisors so that my plans might succeed? Here's an example. Let's say you really want to look good when you're driving down the road. So you see a used BMW for about, I don't know, five grand, and you're like, oh man, it's a drop top. I will look so fresh in that. I can put my chain on, put my new shoes on, drop the top, and, 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 and you have about $5,000 to your name and you're like, I could get it, I could get it. 
and, and you go to one of your fellow church members, you're like, yo, look at this, look at this. You pull it up on Craigslist, you're like, check it out. And they're like, listen, man, $1,000. And you realize if that breaks, you can't fix that. And the repairs cost more than $5,000 on a car like that. And you're like, yeah, but I'll look so fresh, I'll look so... And you go and buy it. And then three weeks later, the transmission goes and you're out five grand. Because do you know how much a transmission is in a BMW is? More than you have now. Because you spent the whole 5,000 you had. You see, you add other people into the mix and they might say, listen, we could get you a nice Honda Civic for about 2,500 and then you'll have 2,500 to fix it if it goes bad. And Hondas can go three, 400,000 miles if you take care of them. Okay? And, and you gather, what, but if you're just like, no, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You're going to fail and fall. It's a dumb example, but it's, it's how it goes, isn't it? Many of you have done this, and I'm not pointing at you. Okay? Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Include many people into your, uh, your life. Okay, let's do another one. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage, war. Now listen, I, I, I could read these passages all night because there's not just one, there's not just three, there's not just five, there's multiple Proverbs that are saying the same exact thing here. So listen, are you waging war in your marriage right now? That's a question you should ask. Are you waging war in your finances are you waging war in your job? What about your sinful struggles and temptations? What about your bad attitudes? What about your parenting? What about your moving options? Or what about your buying a home options? And on and on and on. You're waging a war for wise plans for your future. Or maybe you're fighting for your life. And friends, listen, the Christian life is not a cage match where you go against the enemy by yourself. It's not Christianity. Christianity is by wise guidance wage war. How? By much counsel. Counsel. Are you bringing other people into your life and experience? Wise men and women, women and men. Are you? Or are you doing it all yourself? The Proverbs speaks over and over and over about the same thing. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors there's victory. You want victory? I do. I want to defeat Satan, sin, and death. I want to have wise living out in front of me rather than death and destruction in the pit in front of me. How am I going to do this? How am I going to wage this kind of life? Well, in an abundance of counselors, that's how. I'm going to have to involve many wise women and men in my life gladly, gladly. Now, this is not what many Christians want to do. Because it's so countercultural. And it takes humility. Because what you're saying the moment you ask for counsel is, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what I'm doing. Help. And that is a pride crushing confession. But you know what the Bible says about pride and humility? God gives grace to the humble, and He opposes the proud. You want God's opposition? Do it your way. I love you, and Jesus loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you enough to put these things in the Bible for you to read and grab a hold of. Commit your work to the Lord, 
and your plans will be established. Okay, now we're getting into some interesting stuff. This passage says this. Look, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. It doesn't say commit your plans to the Lord. God, I give you this awesome plan. Oh, oh, oh thank you for committing that to me. Now I'm going to make your plan successful. It's not what it says. Look, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What does this mean? That means that in your mind, you should be doing what James said earlier. If you will, Lord, I'm committing whatever my plan is to you. And you know what? Some plans are going to succeed. Some plans are going to fall flat. But you've committed whatever it was to the Lord. And then he makes you a person who makes better plans. He lets you see your inability, which is a massive gift. He lets you see your foolishness, which is a massive gift. He lets you see that you were not as wise as you thought you were, so then you might seek out counsel, seek out wisdom, and become a wise woman or man. You commit what you're doing to the Lord and saying, I'm, Lord, I'm doing this, not what I will, but what you will. Whatever happens, oh God, it's up to you. And you will fail, but you know what? Failure is a good thing sometimes because it's an opportunity to grow, to grow. How many of you have learned your greatest lessons from epic and expensive failures? I have. Yeah, thank you. So this confirms this proverb, your experience. Yes, my epic fails and my expensive fails and my tragedies have taught me great and massive lessons. That's what this proverb is saying. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. You'll be a person who makes better and better and better plans. In summary of this first point, by God's word and God's people, you will get God's wisdom for making plans. By God's word, by God's people, you will get God's wisdom for making plans. You must be humble and teachable and non-individualistic in your decisions. You have to be. It's the only option for wisdom. Now, I get a lot of counsel from books. I love books. I have so many books, I don't know if I'll ever be able to read them all in the life that I have. That's sad. Because guess what? New books come out every week. It's so sad. It's terrible. And I think that by the time I die, I won't need the books anymore, right? It's like, I only have so much time to read these books. You're a nerd. Yeah, I am. I am a nerd. All right, let's do number two. God's directing in your circumstances or planning according to circumstances. All right, this is important. Okay, listen again. Planning according to circumstances. What I don't mean by that is whatever comes to you, you just react to. No, it's not what, that's not what I mean. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Yeah, that's what we just learned about. That, what will happen, you may gain wisdom in the future. But look at verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but is the, it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So this is true. We should listen to advice. We should accept instruction. We should gain wisdom for what? For future plans. All the while remembering and saying to ourselves, even though I got a ton of plans in my mind, it's the purpose of God that's going to stand, not necessarily my plans. 
Listen, your plans will get frustrated often. It's not going to go the way you planned. And if you are sort of this type A person that has to have it go exactly the way you planned, you're going to be frustrated beyond degree for the rest of your life. You have to realize that you're not God and that's okay and it's a good thing to let God be God and not you. Would you want to be God with the limited amount of information you have? Not knowing that every decision you make unleashes thousands of other decisions. Unleashes thousands of other events that compile on into eternity. Aren't you glad that it's not all on you and your decisions? You realize that you get on 28 and you're headed downtown. It's 6 a.m. You got to be at work at 6.30. And all of a sudden, traffic is backed up past the Highland Park Bridge. And you're like, oh no, what has going on? Well, a car was texting and driving. Cars can't text and drive. People driving a car was texting and driving. They didn't have that new, you know, Ford self-driving technology. So they're, they're doing this. Or maybe she was putting on her eye makeup and boom, smacked into the back of the car. And what happened? Brakes, 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 brakes. And all these brakes stopped all these cars to where now traffic stopped past the Highland Park Bridge. Listen, there's a cause and effect from every single little thing that happens in reality. Do you want to get to control reality all like that? Every decision you make unleashing thousands upon thousands of events that then unleash thousands and thousands of other events. You want to be in control of that? I don't. So it's a beautiful and restful thing to know that the purpose of the Lord will stand and not my plans. That, that makes me go, okay, I can take a nap and go to sleep. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Proverbs 21, 30 to 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. See, and this is why, friends, you have to take the Bible as a whole. You can't just pull out one proverb and say, see? No, you put this proverb against the one that says you got to get a lot of counsel, but then you also at the same time have to remember that no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. You have to have them both. It's a both and, not an either or. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. If victory comes, it comes from God and not from your wise planning. You have to be able to, listen friends, I'm helping you with your Bible study and your Bible reading. You cannot isolate texts. You cannot. You will be so frustrated. Okay? You have to take the whole Bible and put it up against itself so that you have the biblical context, so that you get a wider view, not a small view of one text. This is why we get so upset and confused when we read and it doesn't go the way that we read. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What this means is you can have the best laid plans for a house. You can think of the house as your life. You know, Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about building your house on the sand and building your house on a solid foundation, a rock. And unless the Lord is building the house, those who build it will just labor in vain. 
If God's not with you on this plan, you're laboring in vain. How many of you experienced that verse? I have, and it hurts. It's a painful verse. But you know what? When you can rest in that verse, when you can rest in Psalm 127.1 and say, you know what, God? This was not what you wanted. Teach me something from this. Give me some kind of wisdom from this epic fail here. You obviously weren't building. I was. And gain a heart of wisdom from these failures. Don't just chalk it up as a loss. Gain insight. Gain wisdom. Gain understanding. And you know what? It will be worth whatever pain was caused or loss was caused by your fail. Because wisdom is more precious than silver, more precious than gold, more precious than rubies. Though it costs all you have, get understanding and wisdom, we're told in the Proverbs. So if it costs some pain and some epic failures and maybe a couple years of my life, but I get wisdom from it, oh my, it was worth it. And often it does take a few years from the emotion to cool down to look back and say, okay, that was worth it. How many of you have been able to look back after a couple years and say, all right, it was worth it? Good. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the lot was an ancient way of making decisions. This is the way that, you know, remember the story of Jonah and the, and the whale, the giant whale? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and he took a ship going the opposite direction, and a massive storm brews on the sea, and the sailors are uh, unloading cargo like crazy, and they're like, someone has offended one of their gods. Let's draw straws or cast lots to see who it is. And the lot fell to Jonah. And he's like, yep, it's me. Throw me over, the storm will stop. As soon as he gets the water, calm sea. It's incredible. And lots were cast for Jesus' clothes. You remember, Jesus is on the cross and he has the, the non-seamed undergarment and the, the soldiers are casting lots to who will get the lot to get Jesus' clothing. Now, you could think of it as dice. Roll dice. Oh, 7-11, sweet. This verse is saying what it looks like it's saying. That every decision is from the Lord. Now that is hard to swallow. It's like one of those giant Centrum vitamins. You're like, no way am I swallowing that thing. Like the Mega XL one where you choke, you're trying to... That is that vitamin. But listen, it says that though we cast lots, it's every decision is from the Lord. You could extend that to as amazing as this is going to sound, whenever you make a free choice, God is behind that free choice accomplishing his will. You made a free choice that you will be accountable for, but God was behind your free choice accomplishing his good will and purposes. This is the beauty and power of God. Now let's do number three very quickly. Planning according to our desires and submitting your desires to God's desires. Psalm 30. Seven, four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, what this doesn't mean is what most of you have been taught it means. You think it means, man, if I just love God, if I just give myself to him, he'll give me whatever I want, and I got a lot of wants. That's not what it means. What it means is as your delight in God grows and expands, his desires become your desires. Delight yourself in God. God, you are the treasure. You are what I want. You are the, the object of my pleasure. And all of a sudden, God's will 
lines right up with your will. What God wants for you is exactly what you want for you. He gives you the desires of your heart. And isn't it interesting that at that point, your desires and his desires line up, and so he does give you the desires of your heart. It's fantastic. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart, this is your desires, the heart is the motivation factory, it's the core of you, it's the, the seed of the mind, the emotions, and the will. The plans of the heart belong to man or woman, they're yours, they're your plans to make. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Again, what it's saying is, even the words you speak are not without God's decree. Your free choices directly in collision and contact with God's will for the universe. It blows my mind. But I have to believe it's true because the Bible says it over and over and over again. So, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that right now, in this moment, you are right where God wants you? Because if all these verses we're reading are true, then all of your decisions, all of your plans, all of your plotting, all of your scheming, all of your epic fails have got you to this moment right now, hasn't it? You're here. God determines the exact times and places where men should live so that they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any of us, Paul says in Acts 17. So even, even the exact time that you're born, the place that you live, Pittsburgh, and I would say the exact moment of your being right now is God's plan. He wanted you here to hear this. Not an accident. All predetermined, yet your free choices got you here. How do you do that? Well, it's 100% your choices and it's 100% God's sovereign will. And mysteriously, they line up perfectly such that everyone will be accountable for every free choice they made and yet everyone makes the choice that God wants them to make. It's God. Let's look number four quickly at God's ultimate plan. This will be the last point. God's ultimate plan is this, friends. His ultimate plan for every one of you is to make you into the type of person that is more like Jesus. That's what he's up to. But God, what are you up to? I'm up to making you, women and men, who know and love God, more like Jesus. So listen, God uses all of the situations in your life, all of the circumstances in your life, all of the failures, all of the suffering, all of the victories to make you more like Jesus. He's more interested in who you are than what you do and what you want to do. That's hard to believe, but it's true. Let's look at the scriptures for a minute. Here's another one. Uh, 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So your plans are in your heart. You can plan, do it, please. Get counsel, read the scriptures, make a plan. But listen, the Lord will establish your steps. He's the one who's going to make your steps established, not necessarily your plans. So this little passage here finds its context in that Jesus has risen from the grave. 
He has sent the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And now the, the apostles, his chosen um, 11, minus Judas, plus Matthias, so 12, are proclaiming the resurrection. We saw him raised from the dead. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament messianic prophecies. He is the God who became incarnate. And the religious leaders hate this message and they want them silenced. And so Peter and John just got out of prison for preaching the gospel and they gather with the church and they're going to pray. And we're breaking in to a prayer right here. So this is the, the church, the Jerusalem church, freshly established praying to God the Father upon the persecution of the church. And what do they say? For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There's that both and right there. Look, so who came against Jesus? Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, all by their own free choice, hating Jesus, coming against him, crucifying him, and yet at the same exact time, they're doing whatever God's hand and plan predestined to take place. That's what's happening in the crucifixion of Jesus. Predetermined, predestined to take place. And now, Lord, in light of that, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The word, there's the gospel. While you do this, God, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, this was the result, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Full of the Holy Spirit, what did it produce? Boldness to share the gospel. I wanted you to see, though, that God had a plan, and it was to have Jesus on a cross, purchasing the sins, purchasing the people uh, that he had predestined before the foundation of the world. And this is his plan, yet at the same time, the free choices of Herod Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, that would be the Romans, and the people of Israel, the, the chief priests, the, the Sadducees, they're all ganging up against Jesus, and guess what? They're going to be judged for their choices because they were free, and it's what they wanted to do. Yet at the same time, they did exactly what God wanted, predestined to take place. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to to his purpose. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. This means that whatever comes into your life as a Christian, Christians by definition are those who love God. What this verse means is for those people, Christians who love God, everything that happens in your life, everything, God is going to take even the worst of things and he's going to work it for good. He's going to work it for good. He works together for good. For who? For those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 is super important. This is what God's doing to you, friends. God, what are you doing? 
For those whom he foreknew, that means knew beforehand, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, Jesus is interested in making you more like himself. God the Father is more interested in you becoming more like Jesus than your plans happening. And we don't like that, but here's why we don't like that. We don't see the value in becoming more like Jesus. We don't see how good that would be, and that is the good of Romans 8.28. The good of Romans 8.28 is that you would be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Friends, you realize that there is coming a day for Christians when this Pittsburgh PA physically will be resurrected, and there will be no more poverty, There will be no more racism. There will be no more fighting. No more arguing with your spouse. No more co-workers arguing. No more plans failing. No more depression. No more anxiety. You realize that's coming for Christians. And you know what? If you were more like Jesus and I was more like Jesus, we'd get a taste of it right now. Because love does no harm to a neighbor, Paul tells us in Romans. That means I would only be looking out for your good if I had the love of God filling me at all times. I would never do you harm in word or deed. And if that was true of you, and that was true of me, and that was true of every person in this city, what kind of city would this be? Listen, it's common for us who are Christians. And not just this city, but every city. Every city on this globe is going to be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. How much do waters cover the sea? 100%. That's our hope, and this is what God is up to. So all of your plans, friends, all of them are working towards that great end. Even though they're your plans, and you are responsible to make good, wise plans. This is where they're all headed. And that should fill you with joy. All of your working, all of your waiting, all of your struggling, all of your toiling, all of your effort will one day pay off because the promise is the universe is going to be resurrected and so will you and so will I. So will you and so will I. Man, I can't, I can't even imagine what a new body is going to feel like. Man, I can't wait to dive deep into the ocean. I mean deep and just see what's down there, a resurrected ocean. I can't wait. Smack a shark in the face. Can't eat me. I can't wait. All right, let's keep going. Ephesians 1, 7, 11. In him, now this whole Ephesians 1 here, it's the last verse and we're done, okay? Last verse and we're done, I promise. This Ephesians 1 here is just a massive sentence devoted to Jesus and his glory and Jesus Uh, redeeming a people. So think about your plans for the future culminating with what we are reading here by God's plan. Him, that would be Jesus. We have redemption through his blood. That means we're bought back. That means we're paid for. That means we're saved from Satan's sin and death. Through his blood, 
We have the forgiveness of our trespasses, which is what we desperately need. How? According to the riches of his grace. Grace, unearned, demerited favor given to us, which he lavished upon us, listen, in all wisdom and insight. God has all wisdom. God has all insight. The wisdom and insight was to put our trespasses on Jesus, and through his blood we would have forgiveness. Verse 9, making known to us, the church, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the full, I'm sorry, as a plan for the fullness of time to what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, and in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, look at this. Verse 10, God has a plan. As a plan for what? For the fullness of time. When the time comes, what's going to happen? He's going to unite all things in Christ. What does that mean? Things in heaven and on earth. You realize there's a spiritual reality going on right now as we're talking. It's going on in this room. We, I love theology over food. So at lunch, you know, today, my daughter and I were having a discussion. We're, we're, we're looking out, and she's like, so where's heaven? I'm like, well, it could be really close. She's like, can birds go there? Maybe, I don't know. But wouldn't it be interesting if heaven, heaven was much closer than you realize, and your eyes are just blind to see it in the same way that a dog whistle can make a dog hear, but you can't hear that pitch? What if the spiritual realm is really right here, but your eyes are not capable to see it? So I said to my daughter, we don't know for sure, but it might be right here. It might be right here. And there is an invisible spiritual reality, beings that we have no idea what they're going to be like. We have no idea what uh, heaven holds for us. And by heavens, we mean the new universe and a new earth. But there is coming some unbelievable realities for us that we're going to enjoy for a never-ending amount of time. And that's God's plan, to resurrect the universe. Will we do space travel? Why not? What's it all up there for if not? To explore forever. And as the technology gets better and better throughout the new heavens and the new earth, maybe we'll be able to go further and further out. It's all imagination, okay? But here's the plan. The plan is for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, and in him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Friends, that new heavens, that new earth, God himself, new bodies, that's our inheritance. It's coming. It's God's plan. It's set. It's going to happen. And all of your seemingly random decisions, all of your well-planned decisions are all moving history that way. You realize that? That's where it's going. And see, here's the problem. We have such a little view of the world. Our view. Like, it's about me and my world and what's going on in my bank account and my house and my job and me, 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 me. But God is up to something way bigger And he has swallowed Christians up in it. Isn't that exciting? That you're a part of a plan bigger than your little plans. 
You're part of a plan that's bigger than your little plans. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, listen, who works all things, all things according to what? The counsel of his will. So who does God counsel with? Himself. And what he determines to do will get done. And that's our confidence, and that's our hope, because he is not only the sovereign God, the all-powerful, almighty, he's our father too. And he loves us. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. That for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 